All right, I want to open with a little more Warriors talk. I have Ramona and Kendra on right after this, and we recorded Wednesday afternoon before the Suns game about Warriors trade options, Clay Thompson's recovery and uneven play and all that. And we joked about how well the Warriors will probably lose by 40 and and we won't have enough urgency about their situation. They didn't lose by 40, but it was another uh, alarming loss in Phoenix. And Steve Kerr made some alarming comments after the game about how the team lacks grit. We lack grit. It's like a pickup game. It's like a Drew League game, I think he said. And Steve is not one to throw those bombs uh, willy-nilly. He's, he's clearly upset with the team. It's been a very puzzling start to the season as we get into on the podcast, all the issues within the team. And the lack of grit, lack of toughness that Steve is citing, it does make you wonder, and we talk about it later, if there's some hangover effect from the punch and if something happened inside the team and, and, and it's hard to die it's hard to know from the outside I don't know how to look for punch evidence on the court uh, obviously Jordan Poole the victim of said punch has not played as well as he had last season and that's that's a big issue but last night's loss was a microcosm of everything we talk about in the podcast Steph Curry has a miracle game and the Warriors lose they lose because their defense stinks. They're 26th in defense. They cannot stop fouling people. Their point of attack defense, as we talk about, mostly Poole and Clay, but Wiggins has even slipped a little bit in the last week, has been really bad, and that leads to all these fouls. But it's not It's not just that. I mean, they've made bad errors of communication, stuff that's uncharacteristic for them. Jock Landale is a very large and noticeable human being, and two or three times he just ran down the floor. Like, oh, anyone want to pick up the, the giant guy running down the floor? No, no, no. Oh, he just dunked again. That, that's just not Warriors basketball. Lost free throws, lost the offensive rebound battle. They're 24th in offensive rebounding, dead last in foul rate. It's the it's st- same stuff all season. And offensively, this team is built that they need two of Wiggins, Poole, and Clay to play well every game to win. Just two. They don't need all three because you're not going to have all three guys shoot well every game. And Wiggins is always going to defend and rebound well and all that stuff. They need two of those guys to score efficiently. Last night, they had 35 points combined, the three of them, on 11 of 33 shooting. Poole has been massively inconsistent. Didn't make a shot last night. Hasn't been good enough. Clay hasn't been good enough. We all know that. Clay's taken a beating in the media. I think the, the lack of patience is a little bit unfair to him given the injuries. But uh, he was better than this in the playoffs last year. Ramona and I talk a little bit about what we've heard about his offseason and why he may be starting slowly this time around. But if if those two, they have five guys now making a lot of money. One guy is playing as well as humans have played basketball ever. Another guy, Draymond, is playing at like I would say 85 to 90 percent of Draymond levels. He can't quite quite clean uh, put out the fires that happen at, at the top of the defense the way he used to. But he's still pretty damn good. Although last night he was weirdly listless. Um, Wiggins is kind of a rock, a little bit quiet lately, needs to be a little louder, but you know, whatever, he's Andrew Wiggins. Poole and Clay um, just just haven't been good enough, and if they're not going to get good games from two out of three of those guys, you're going to lose some Steph Miracle games. And by the way, the as we transition into a discussion about Warriors trade options and how there may not even be all that many, um, the Warriors are getting roasted with all three of Steph, Poole, and Clay on the floor. And after the pool party honeymoon period with that lineup last year, the further they got in the playoffs, the less playable it was because of the defensive challenges. And it's getting lit up this year. And it just makes you wonder, like, 
they just paid Poole a lot of money. Clay's going to want an extension. Can you invest that much money in three guards who struggle to play together defensively against the best teams at times, at least? I think the jury's still out on that. The sample size is still small, and offensively, holy smokes, is it dynamic. But I think as we transition into a question about Warriors trade options, I, I think you just have to look at all of the stuff. And I do think, as we talk about in the pod, if they're just sitting at 500 in 10, 20 games, they have to approach this with urgency. They owe it to Steph Curry. They owe it to their core. They owe it to themselves after winning the title last year, frankly, to look at every option. And I, I still say, as I as I say on the pod later, it's it's very unlikely they trade Draymond and and probably Clay. Um, uh, unless the season really just goes off the I mean, if they're just bad, just like bad, bad, A, Memphis is super happy because they owe their owe their pick to them in 2024, not this season, but still. Um, if they're just bad, bad, everything gets on the table. But if they're decent with the hope of, you know, let's make another run, I think it's hard to trade one of those two guys. I don't even know how much trade value those two guys have. And, and that's why we start focusing – the podcast on Wiseman and his $10 million salary, which doesn't even get you that much back without another salary attached to it. And the big salaries are really hard to trade. Jordan Poole is poison-pilled. He's really hard to trade. Clay and Draymond, we just mentioned, are core parts of the team. You could stack all the young guys together, Kaminga, Moody, Wiseman. That gets you to like the $20 million. You can get a big, you can get a Miles Turner-sized player for that. You're really trading all the young core for like that? Now, Durant as we discuss, is a different story. Durant takes everything. And if they continue to struggle like this and the Nets ever reach the Rubicon of it's over, I think the Warriors have to at least think about it again. How could how could you not? How could you not? Now, do, do, do the Nets value any of those players? Do they value the picks that the Warriors can trade? Again, they owe a pick to Memphis, so they're a little bit encumbered. I, I don't know. Then you start looking at Wiseman trades. And even even the Wiseman-Yakub-Pertle trade that I float in the podcast, I think it's a good trade. I think it makes sense for, for both teams. I don't know if the Warriors would even look at that and say, boy, that's just too short-term a move for us. Can we re-sign Pirtle? He's an expiring contract. We have tax issues. Do, can we re-sign him? And, th- and then again, Wiseman's going to make $12 million next year. In the last year of his rookie contract, by the way, he's already up for an extension after the season. He's barely played basketball. That impacts his trade value. Teams don't really know how to how to look at him. Like, is he going to get a big payday because he's the number two pick? Is he not? What is he? Who knows? But the Warriors may look at that and just say, well, is that really worth it to, to trade from our young core for a guy who, you know, are, are we going to play Draymond at the five in crunch time? And so how many how many center minutes do we really need? I, I don't know, but I, I know that the urgency level that Kendra, Ramona, and I talk about in the next half an hour, it, it just ticked up, just ticked up a little bit of a notch last night in Phoenix because when you can't beat the Suns without Chris Paul, without Cam Johnson, without Instagram and Twitter personality Jay Crowder, um, and Steph Curry has 50 points, it's it's somewhat problematic even though all credit to the Suns. They've been resilient as all hell. They're playing great. It's just you're going to hear some urgency in the next half hour. I would say after last night, dial it up. Dial it up one notch on the urgency meter. Anyway, Ramona and Kendra have all the inside info about Clay's recovery, about the Warriors. Please enjoy that conversation and then enjoy Matt Barnes on the rollicking Sacramento Kings. Thank you for listening. And now, the low post. Welcome to 
The Low Post Podcast on a Wednesday afternoon where we had a Ramona Shelburne massive story drop on the one and only Clay Thompson. And so it's time to talk the very strange and very still looking for a road win as we record this podcast on 220 Pacific time on Wednesday afternoon. The defending champion Golden State Warriors. We have a full house. Ramona, how are you? Good. How are you, Zach? I'm good. Kendra Andrews, our Warriors beat reporter. How are you? I am good. I am good. Uh, Ramona, congratulations on a wonderful cover story on Mr. Clay Thompson. You went sailing with him. You saw his sailing shoes. I was not aware until reading the story that there is apparently a dock outside the Chase Center where he can uh, dock his boat before and after games if he wants to boat back from practices and games. That's pretty – That's when you have a dock – that you he's earned a dock. You you hit all the threes in game six in Oklahoma yep. City, you get a dock. So Clay got a dock. Yeah, there's a there's a restaurant there. Um it's called the Ramp. And uh it's 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 literally like if you walked quickly, it would be six or seven minutes, but it's really like ten minutes. And even Clay, um Clay doesn't even like to walk. He likes to he's always like in a move fast, and so he usually takes a bike and he's now trying to get an e bike so that he can go even faster from where the dock to the uh I like the that. Chase Center is, but it's, it's like, I mean, it's, it's kind of like George Clooney and up in the air. It's, it's like, let's go, keep it moving, keep going, keep going, keep going. And I think that, um, that became sort of a theme of the piece when you're around Clay, he, he really doesn't like to sit still. He really likes to keep moving and who can blame him because for the last two and a half, three years, he's been stuck sitting there at home, binging Netflix or YouTube videos, re- rehabbing from these awful injuries that he's had. And so, when you're forced to sit still for as long as he has, you never want to sit still again. Let's let's uh, talk about both the piece and the issues that it raised, not only with Clay's um, his his rehab and his early season play, which has bizarrely been worse than his late season play mm-hmm. from last season, and also uh, the last dance issues that were brought up. And I thought Ramona kind of candidly talked about by Steve Kerr and Stephen Curry says in your story, something to the effect of the ending of things is never graceful. And Steve Kerr says, I don't know how much longer we have, but we're in the final stages. And I don't know, Kendra, did that you being around this team, did those quotes kind of smack you in the face? Like they smacked me in the face a little bit. And I think there's, there's two different ways that you can look at this because when they were in Ramona's story, they were talking about, and she was writing about, in this, in this instance, Clay, Stephen Curry, Draymond Green, and of course, Andre Iguodala, who has said, you know, this is going to be his last year. So from that standpoint, yeah, okay, Andre being that first piece to, to move on makes sense, but it does start to bring up other questions. Uh, you know, Zach, you and I have talked on this podcast about Draymond Green. What does his future with the Warriors look like? And hearing those comments and reading those comments from Steve Kerr and Steph, it does just make you think, okay, after Andre, what's the next shoe to drop? Who is it going to be? And and could it happen as soon as this upcoming summer? Or as soon as this upcoming trade deadline. <laughs> or, I, I, or still, <laughs> I, I still think is incredibly unlikely, as I've said all along. But them starting six and eight is again we're recording this before they play the Suns tonight. They could be seven and eight by the time this goes up. Scheduling conflicts are what they are. We just have to do it now. Um, uh, them starting six and eight, I think, is a plot twist that even they didn't see coming. Even the skeptics within the team, maybe not skeptics, but even the, with the people within the team, who thought it's going to take the young guys time 
to replace Otto Porter, Nemanja Bjelica, GP2. I don't think even they expected to be 6-8. and eight. And honestly, it's a bizarre 6-8. and eight. It's hard to be 6-8. and eight. And as, again, we're going into this game tonight, I have an overall point differential of minus two. <laughs> when your starting lineup might be the best lineup in the entire sport. Yep. Their starting lineup is plus 79 for the season. Yeah. All of their other lineups are minus 81 combined. And their starting lineup, the eye test matches the numbers. That thing is a goddamn symphony. Those guys can play with their eyes closed now. The level of passing and ball movement and cutting is just extraordinary. And once Clay starts finishing more of those possessions by making shots, those numbers are going to get even better offensively. That, that lineup, I never thought I would say beautiful basketball and Andrew Wiggins in the same sentence that he's consistently a part of just beautiful basketball. And he is. It's hard to have a lineup that good and be six and eight with a minus two point differential. Because in theory, if that lineup is that good, you just take a couple of guys from that lineup. You put them with the bench groups. Things work out. Your team's good. Um, And yet, of course, they've been um, in a little bit of disarray in that, in that regard. They just uh, sent, James Wiseman to the G League. Jamichael Green's back in the rotation. Kaminga's back in the rotation. DiVincenzo needs to stay healthy. It's a weird six and eight. And I guess I'll start with you, Ramona. When you see the starting five number and the overall team numbers, like how are they reading that internally? Do they look at that and say, "Yo, we're cool. Look at our starting five. Like that's the vibe I usually get from them. Is like this. This is a, a closer approximation to what our team really is. But what do you hear? So. The general vibe that you have around the Warriors is that this year is going to be very different than last year. And it started off, you know, with the weird, with the Draymond Green, Jordan Poole incident, uh, the TMZ leak. When I was up there, I actually had to go up there a couple of different times because they were, you know, I would, I would have things set up and then they would cancel the practice the next day or the shoot around. And there was this, there was this sense of um, last year they were there all the time. There was this developmental work. Um, that they were doing with the young guys. They were practicing all the time. They were fresh. They had had all these, they really didn't have any deep playoff runs that they had to recover from the the previous two seasons. This year, there's a a pacing that they've had to institute really from the jump. Like there's this idea of, we got to keep our guys healthy and fresh for when it matters. And the regular season is not as important as it was. Um, I remember one of the games I had gone up there and, um, they lost to the nuggets. It was early on and they lost to the nuggets and, and clay was at his locker and he goes, you know, I guess we're not going 24 and Oh again. Right. Like that was, do you remember the, when they defended their title, the first of title course. they won? That's the 73 win season. And the yeah, first the loss was, it was season. in Milwaukee when they had the t-shirts made before the game about yeah. how they were going to be 24 and one. Yeah. And so there's, there's sort of from the beginning of the season been an acceptance act that, we can't do things like we did last year. We can't have full throttle from out of the gates because we got to pace our guys. We had a long run last year. We have players who are in their early to mid thirties, sometimes late thirties. If you, if you count Iguodala um, in the part of that core, and we just have to, you know, take our time finding out whatever the new normal is. Then there's the added drama of Wiggins and Poole getting their contract extensions done before the year, but Draymond not getting a contract extension. Um, to where it sort of brought into stark relief this idea of that the handoff is happening. There's a baton pass that's happening between the old group and the new group. And 
is this baton pass going to be seamless? Is it going to be clunky? Do they need to practice it? Can it happen all at once? We see the two eras. Um, there's a recognition that a lot of things that are, are happening all at once and a patience, I think they have with it because you know, they, they had, they did this already. They defended the title already. They had, they, they went, they did this five straight years and went to the final. So it's, it's harder every single year because each year is different. And so I think I don't sense a level of panic um, amongst the Warriors. There's still a, a relaxed quality about, oh, we'll, we'll find it. We'll get it. We just have to work through these different groups. But there is that finality that, you know, neither Steve Kerr or Steph Curry really wanted to go there when I raised the issue of, hey, like, how much longer are you guys going to be able to do this? They didn't really want to go there, but they did because they're also realistic about the idea of, you know, I think Steve said it best if you read the whole quote, because context matters. Um, he said, you know, we've been at this a decade. We've had this group together for a whole decade, and that's a long time in professional sports. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't really happen in sports to have a group like this together for an entire decade to rise. They fell off. They rise back up again. They're trying to squeeze out another couple of championships. I think the one thing everyone in Golden State will tell you is Steph Curry's going to be the last one standing. Okay, no matter. Oh, I don't know what by, order. By 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 by. It should be by law. They should pass yeah, a law. By law. Because as yeah. I've said this many times. Yeah. There is nothing without uh-huh. Steph Curry. There is no yeah. Chase Center. There are no championships. Yeah. There are no banners. The Warriors are still a joke and a punchline with diehard fans in the loudest arena in Oakland if yep. Steph Curry is not drafted or if someone yeah. else drafts Steph Curry. Yeah, um, but there is that there is that recognition, and, and especially if you get people, and because we've all been around the Warriors for so long, right? If you get people in their honest moments, I think they all know that this is the tail end of this, like however long this lasts, right. It's of this group. And, and will there be a second act with the next group with pool and Wiggins and Kaminga and Wiseman that remains to be seen they're, they're still in the process of this handoff, but for however much longer this lasts, whether it's this year, next year, the year after that, they're all, they all have this sense of like, we got to enjoy this while we have it. We, Cause it, these kind of teams and these kind of dynasties, they're not they're not built very often and they certainly don't get rebuilt the way that Golden State has um, the last year or so. We got to enjoy this while we have it. Harder to enjoy when one player punches another player, knocks him down and it gets leaked to the media. Ramona, in your story, you rather pointedly say the underlying issues of that incident are still there. Or I don't remember oh, yeah. the exact words, but persist or something like that. Um, Kendra, do you sense that? Do they? I, I, it's a it's a subject they did just don't appear to be talking about, it and they won't talk about it. And it's hard to know because Draymond looks like Draymond. Yeah. Poole's been struggling relative to expectations, and then he had thirty six the other night as a starter. He looks like Jordan Poole. It, it's hard to it's hard to see and feel. Is it there? I think it's it's. They're in intangible ways, you know, kind of like you're saying, Draymond's out there doing Draymond's thing. Jordan's out there trying to to continue to crack out. They have a good two-man game, right? So everyone's always looking on the court to see, well, are they high-fiving? How are they interacting on the court? Are they passing to each other? And yes, because they want to win. But I... The Warriors are still in a process of building chemistry and that ha- it's happening on a lot of different levels. It's happening on the the basketball side of things where they're figuring it out. But, you know, even Steve Kerr said in a press conference the other day, we're still building chemistry both on and off the court. That comes with integrating new players. And that also comes with moving past what 
he said and what Ramona quoted in her story, Steve called it the biggest crisis that he's had since he joined the Warriors nine years ago. That doesn't go away overnight. That doesn't go away over a matter of a couple of days. You know, you had Draymond stoke the fire a little bit more when he put out that documentary that didn't go over very didn't well. Didn't land well. Didn't People. land well with the uh, with the Academy. It's exactly. not going to be. A, it's not going to be nominated for a lot of a lot of nominations. So, you can as much as you can put issues aside to do your job and to do it to the best of your ability. There are always going to be underlying, uh, you know, issues or, or tense moments and stuff. And, and the Warriors are are trying to trying to get past it, but it's gonna. It's never going to happen with the snap of your fingers and say, okay, you apologize. You say it's okay. Let's keep it moving. It's, it, it takes more uh, than that. Ramona, what did you mean when you wrote that line? A lot, the, the issues are still underlying. The, what are the issues? What are you, yeah. the contract issues? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think everybody felt that sense that Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole are a part of the future. They, they invested in them. They gave them the contract extensions. They signed relatively team-friendly contracts. And Draymond Green's uh, contract was not extended. And he's got a player option for next year. Okay, so it's, you know, he's under contract and he can, he can pick that up if he wants. Um, Clay makes a lot of money next year. But this team, um, I think there's a, there's a very real uh, recognition amongst everyone there that this team is about to get very expensive, historically expensive. And the Warriors ownership has shown a willingness to pay historically expensive prices for its championship team. But this team right now, as you said, is not a, looking like a championship team. Six and eight as we talk right now, two o'clock Pacific time on, a, on, on Wednesday. Um, maybe we'll see what they are after tonight. Uh, but this team hasn't been at the same level as they were. And there's this sense of, if they continue to contend, if they get back to where they were last year and, and they are contending for a title, then that's a good argument to keep this group together and pay all that money. Mm-hmm. But if yeah, they're not that, a championship team. Yeah. And that's why I said all along, like, I don't see a Draymond Green trade happening in the aftermath yeah. of the punch. Everybody was doing the fake trades. Right. And I said, they want to win the title. Yeah. Right. And yeah. what I what I kept hearing was unless things go really sideways and we're suddenly just a bad team or something like mm-hmm. we're we're we're. Yeah. Um, we're going to stick it out. But it is interesting, like the two-timeline thing. So, so yeah. ballyhooed. Ballyhooed. It's ballyhooed. Yeah. Um, I remember saying and thinking last year during the finals that they were really vindicated for yeah. pursuing this two-timeline path for not trading the farm for Brad Beal or, God forbid, yeah. Ben Simmons or something like that because they won. Mm-hmm. And they did win. And... I guess they were vindicated in that sense. But the more I thought about it, the more it's like, well, Poole is the only young guy who yeah. like actually did anything in the entire playoffs other than a couple of Moses Moody games against Dallas where he was a, a bit player. It's like the second part of the timeline didn't come along, but the assumption underlying my vindication statements was it'll come along now. Right. And yeah. it hasn't really come along yet. And the highest draft pick of all of them is in the G League right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the other the other thing I was going to point out, and I thought I thought Steph really made this point well, and he used a Big Brother reference to make it. <laughs> okay, which is, I love that Steph watches Big Brother and can quote from it. Um, but what happens um, on the, Big Brother? They just live together. Is there yeah, a plot? They, 
<laughs> no, they live together. How do you and, win? Uh, you stay alive the longest, I guess. Like you don't. You Wait, don't, you, you stay alive? What are, pe are, pe are people trying to murder you? I think they vote you out, right? Then they vote you out of the house. For what? For being like messy? Bad, bad roommates. I don't. You know what? I, don't watch, I can't. I, watch I can't. I can't okay. believe. I hope Disney doesn't own Big Brother because exactly. I can't believe That's anybody watches this show. It's been on forever, though. And then exactly. we gotta like, get you on. <laughs> and I'm like, of all the shows, the reality TV shows that I would expect Steph Curry to watch, Big Brother is not the one. Okay, um, but here it was. The best part about our team is it's kind of a judgment-free zone. Steph said, "Obviously, everyone's accountable to be, to the team to bring the commitment that we are trying to do as a group." But if this was like the show Big Brother, it'd be a lot of different subplots, okay? Mm -hmm. In other words, there's a lot of different subplots going on in Warriors Land right now. And I think Steph and I got onto this topic, and it's 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 always fun to talk to Steph um, in this way because I just had a, my second kid. He's got three kids. Like, we understand what it's like to be a parent where you have to just let go sometimes and let your kids be your kids and let them go through what they need to go through and you can't always intervene and, and change them because right. that's your job. Right. And he's really good at that uh, with this team. And I think that's partially why the Warriors have always worked as a team is that Steph is the guy that is totally comfortable being the face of the franchise and all that comes with it. Draymond is the edge and he sometimes steps over it. Um, but everybody kind of understands they need that too. Clay's clay. As Steve Curley says, he's not low maintenance. He's zero maintenance. Um, Andre is the sort of wise old sage who can show up in April, Robert Ori style and just be Andre. Um, and even if he doesn't play, he's still so valuable. They'll have him on the team for as long as he'll play. Um, they work because they don't try to change each other and, um, they work because they let each other be each other, but there's a lot of different subplots, right. right? There's a lot of different tension yeah. there. And now we have this whole new generation of the Jordan Poole subplot and the Andrew Wiggins subplot. Well, I've been and Wiseman. And I've been talking to I've been talking to you know coaches and players and and it's I'm, I'm writing a story kind of on management because Ramona a couple minutes ago you were talking about how last season right it was practice 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 this season it's our guys are older we have to we have to pull back but there's a whole other group there's a whole other subplot where if anything they need to they need more they need more they need more. And mm -hmm. Steve Kerr admitted to me, I have to readjust the way I'm approaching this because I can't approach yeah. this sort of, of 15, 16 guys the same way. I have to approach four or five guys one way, five or six guys a whole different way. And then James Wiseman, we have to approach with a whole different yeah. way. And so with all these subplots, the, even the coaching staff is trying to figure out how do we manage all of these different timelines so that it can maybe hopefully converge in, in, into one seamless baton handing off process. And they're admitting, listen, we're not doing a good job of that right now. We have to figure it out because it it isn't you like you said, it's not. Figure it out? You know why you have to figure it out? Losing right now. <laughs> because, no, you know why? Because Steph Curry is playing as well or better than yes. he has ever yep. played. He is a freaking supernova. The minute he steps on the floor, the entire game changes uh -huh. in every yeah. possible way, and they owe it to him. And mm -hmm. they owe it to themselves, having paid all this money for all these players, to put together a championship-level team. Now, I went into this season thinking they are a championship-level team. Yeah, They were mm -hmm. in my inner circle of contenders. They haven't played like it so far. Now, if they just stand pat, I am optimistic that they will get there because – not. 
win the championship, but they'll be about what we thought they were going to be because starting five is that good. Because Clay is going to stop missing every single jump shot short mm-hmm. at some point. He's Clay Thompson. He's Clay freaking Thompson. Yeah. Um, I believe in DiVincenzo as a bench player for them. I like Jermichael Green. I think Moody will be ready by the end of the year or sooner to be a regular rotation guy. Um, Iguodala, we'll see. Um, and then after that, it's a little bit of a question mark. Like Kaminga, I fell head over heels for Kaminga last season, and he just hasn't followed it up. Um, I, I like the way he's looked recently, and now that he's back in the rotation. But he gets a little hazy off the ball on defense in in a way that in the exact way that drives coaches crazy about young players. I mean, that's those are the mistakes he's going to make. And so it just sort of – I think they'll get back there, but there are, are more questions and more ifs and more how can they figure out these other lineups that don't have Steph on the floor. How can they survive in those minutes? And there are a little bit more ifs than I thought. So, Kendra, I'll ask you the same kind of question I asked Ramona. Like, how are they feeling about the state of the team? How is management feeling about the state of the team? Because, you know – they can't trade Wiggins. He's mm-hmm. not trade eligible because of his extension. They can trade a future first-round pick, although they would have to go to Memphis and probably beg them to lift the protections and give Memphis more stuff for their pleasure of doing that. Um, it is actually hard unless they're going to trade Draymond, which, again, I've already said I don't think will happen. I don't either. For them, for them to get, like, a lot of money right. it, without trading, like, two or three people because Wiseman is the one. And he right. makes $9 million. Mm-hmm. It's not like you can go get Miles Turner for just James Wiseman. I'm not even saying they would do that. Right. But are they even thinking about this stuff yet? Or are they just in like, we're pretty confident in what we got? I, I, I think there, there is a level of confidence that they're, that they're trying to maintain and, and they're trying to have patience. And I think having patience isn't something that the Warriors have really have had to practice in the past six or seven years and so you know there 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 is some confidence there I think especially with Moses Moody I think there's some confidence in Jonathan Kaminga and in what they can do and what they can develop and I think clearly right now the biggest question is James Wiseman and this G League stint and what's going to come from that because there's two different routes that this could kind of lead to for the Warriors one is you go down to the G League and you're looking for him to improve so that you can bring him back to Golden State and have him be that, that in that role that they kind of expected him to be. The other route is that you go down to the G League and you improve enough where your trade stock is back to, you know, make 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 you a good asset that teams are then going to say, yeah, actually, maybe it's more of a rebuilding team team but we see now the upside in James Wiseman we'll take him and and here's some other pieces for you so I think it's it's a, a, a little bit of a wait and see and see how these 10 days go in the G League to see before you start really penning things in and say this is the direction that we're moving in because the thing with the Warriors is that they want they they want to see James Wiseman succeed they don't want him to be a bust the Warriors have a lot of pride and just, I think, for a little bit of pride. their ego. Pride's a good word. Pride's a dangerous yeah. word sometimes, but yeah, it's a but good I word. Think, but I do think that mm-hmm. there is some they, – they don't want their ego to get hit by people saying, oh, you should have drafted LaMelo. Oh, you shouldn't the have – The L word. Uh-oh, the L word came out. It, it, I, the P word, the L word, it's all coming out now. But I think that's a lot on James Wiseman's shoulders that, that management is thinking, and it's yeah. – 
it's kind of all coming to a head right now. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's macy's.com slash gift finder. All right, well, let, let's, let's zoom back out. The real problem for the Warriors is is a this bizarre lineup split, but b it's defense. They're twenty sixth in defense mm-hmm. going into tonight. They're fouling the bejesus out of everybody. And if you sort their lineups and look up their foul rate when mm-hmm. Clay and Poole are both on the floor, your laptop starts smoking from how bad the numbers are. <laughs> and that's where like Poole's never been a good defender. He's been worse this year. Like he's just getting roasted off the dribble all the time. And Clay. Clay's slippage on defense is a little harder to see. He's just kind of – he's not as clean changing directions and shifting around the floor. And there's – like you watched him try to chase Kevin Herter around the other night. Yeah. One screen, mm-hmm. one cut, and Kevin Herter had like five feet of space to shoot. And Clay just couldn't – I don't know if that will come. I don't really get what's going on there. But it's defense, and Wiseman's defense has been terrible. Yes. And so we'll see how that stabilizes. They play more veteran guys as they play more hybrid lineups, as they make sure that one of Draymond Clay and Steph is on the floor at the same time. But that's the, that's the issue. Um, And if they're not going to trade Draymond Wiseman is uh, for better or worse, the trade asset. And that's why you said, when you said pride, that's what was interesting to me because there are two ways they can look at Wiseman internally. Number one, for trying to win in the next two to three years, it's a sunk cost. We screwed up. We have to trade him for whatever we can get that helps us win. And number two, man, he's the number two pick. Our owner absolutely adores him. We cannot trade the number two pick in the draft for Alec Burks or Kelly Oubre, who's already a failed warrior, or Terry Rozier, if it were even like possible to do that money-wise, or... Doug McDermott, who may not be able to stay on the floor defensively when it really matters. Or these are the names. Like, if you look at the rebuilding teams, other than the Pacers guys who we'll talk about, these are names where if you told the Warriors you have to trade James Wiseman for them, they'd be like, what? And if you have to trade James Wiseman and a pick for them, they'd be like, hell no. I mean, but these are the names. 
um, with with a couple of except. Do you want to hear? So there. So okay. So Momo, you want to say something? I tell you, I can tell you want to say something. Say something. No. Well, uh, no, it's okay. You can keep going. I like your rant. I was, I was, I was going to. It's not a rant. It's not a rant. But like well, these are... you were, you were talking about Clay Thompson and his defense, and whether that's going to come back, whether the shooting. I don't shoot- get it. I don't. Did he not? Did he? I heard rumblings that he kind of changed his routine in the summer and played less pickup. Yeah, and maybe that, and maybe that's why his legs aren't there. Yeah. Yeah, So essentially, some of this Zach is that he did not do pickup like he normally. But he worked out one on one down at the. He works out at at the stance gym down there in Orange County and stuff. And but he got hurt playing pickup when he was coming back from the ACL. And I think there was a uh, something in his head that said, "I don't want to do that again." I don't yeah. want to put myself in that position. And so while he trained and he was in shape and all that, it's a different level of ramp up that you have to get to um, when you're playing pickup, when you're really playing five on five pickup games. And and he didn't do that in the off season. And that's why they brought him along so slowly in the, in the preseason. They're even bringing him along slowly during the regular season. There's this sense of like, you got time. Take your time. You can get back there. We don't need to rush this. You don't want to put yourself in a position where you're going to get hurt. Um, and he sort of accepted it. And yet, I also feel him pressing because, yeah. as you, as Clay even says in the piece several times, like he, it was a really interesting talking to him because his head knows that he's not the same player he was. His head knows that. He feels it. Okay. He will admit that. He will say, even if I'm 90%, I'm still a hell of a player. But the competitor in him says... Yeah. I am never going to accept that. And that's why he gets so upset when Charles Barkley says, oh, you're slipping. Because it's not for lack of effort. It really isn't. This is the Warriors putting, uh, a, I don't want to say the clamps on him, but the Warriors saying, hey, just go slow. you got time. Let's, let's be ready when it's time. And, yeah. and Clay's like, I waited three freaking years to be yeah. ready. I want to play right now. Like he's just popping out of his skin to go play again and be the old clay and so there's this internal conflict which we write about a lot in the story and in the tv piece where you can feel clay like he know his head knows but his heart and his competitive spirit doesn't accept it and so that's what i think you're seeing on the court right now that's what you're seeing on his social media posts that's what you've had like three different press conferences where he Kind of bears his soul right i mean every night i look up i mean it's like oh my god here comes we're in when we were in Phoenix a couple, I mean, I'm in Phoenix now. When we yeah. were here a couple of weeks ago for their first matchup here, I asked Clay, like, did you, ex- when you came back last season, yeah, you knew that you were going to be brought along slowly. You knew you'd be resting on one end of back-to-backs, but did you think this is where you were going to be heading into this season? And he was honestly like, no, like I didn't no. think I was going to still have to be, to be patient. And it was interesting. I was talking to Andre Guadalla at shoot around this morning and we were more talking about the young guys, but I think this applies to clay too, because we were talking about defense and Andre said, these guys want to help so bad. They want to be, do all the right things so bad that now you're doing things that you shouldn't even be doing because you want it so bad. And then you end up messing everything up and you mess other people up because of that. And I think that that can also in some regards, be applied to Clay too. He wants it so badly that then he ends up making a mistake, which then maybe takes someone out of their spot or their rhythm. And it's a, ch- it's a chain of reaction thing. But yeah, I think when you when it comes to Clay, he 
we live in a world of instant gratification and he is a guy who wants things right now. And like Ramona said, his head is knows that that's not going to happen. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. What you want. It'll be 20 years from now. Clay could still be in the NBA. Every time he shoots, I think it's going in and it will never change. I've got to go quickly. So like that quote, do you like that quote from Bruce Fraser? If Which James, one? if Dave, James Nathan, Bruce Fraser, who's known as Q, Q, um, Q. question us, man. Okay. He's the he's the uh, silver head, silver fox out there to warm Steph Curry. <laughs> Woo! Um, Q, uh, Q's out there, and he said, if you were to ask James Naismith when he invented the game of basketball, what shot would be the the most pure jump shot you could ever think of? I think his definition would be Clay Thompson's jump shot, and and I was like, whoa, you also coach Steph Curry, <laughs> right? And he goes, yeah, but if you're just talking about the shot. Like if the James Mason came up with a player, he would say probably say step. But if you're talking about the purity of that jump shot, I think he would say Clay Thompson. And I, I thought that was an incredible quote and incredible praise. But I can't argue with it. Could you? I mean, that's it's it's no, it's still a beautiful. Been, it's a beautiful yeah. jump yeah. shot. Um, let's wrap quickly because I have to go. Yeah. Um, when you, I do think if they're still mucking around in a month they are going to have to start looking at making trades because it's too precious. The now is just too precious. What Curry is doing is too incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go through the names and you run into the issues that I talked about. A, there's player pool A that is you just can't stomach trading James Wiseman for those players. Mm-hmm. There's player pool B, and I named some of them, that are too expensive and you need to start adding other pieces and or trading a, a core veteran player, which they don't want to do. I would put other guys I, I didn't mention are like Boyan Bogdanovich in Detroit, which is a name that's going to be mentioned all over the place. Um, guys like that. Uh, and then you have Durant, who's just in his own pool over here. And again, if they can't trade Wiggins and Jordan Poole is poison-pilled, it pretty much has to be one of the holdover veterans, plus all the picks, all the kids, all that stuff for Durant. Your eyes are wide, Momo. Do you just think this is a non-starter for them? I don't think because, they do because I'll, I'll say this: the last two Nets games, it was cute. The Edmund Sumner, oh, Royce yeah, yeah. O'Neal was yeah. it was cute, and the vibes were better. And I said at the time, at some point, the talent is the talent, and the talent yeah. came crashing back down to earth. Yeah. So, are you bringing up the Nets like you're you're floating a KD reunion? T- is that are you? No, are you I, yeah. I mean, I just I I, 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 I said I, I just don't. I still don't see any other end game for Brooklyn whether it's this oh. year or next year or somewhere down the line than rebooting oh, their team by trading Durant. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't I I, I don't think that um, I also think that things got so toxic in Brooklyn with everything um with not just KD but ben, but but with Kyrie and Ben Simmons then there's this latest Kevin Durant quote where it, it smacked of like yeah. Do you remember the early Kyrie quote about um the 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 guys on our team who are part of the core group? And it yeah. was like it, it just re- was very reminiscent of the core group quote from like three years ago. Um, I was like, oh, okay. That was, yeah, that, that quote was, was essentially quote. like, I'm on the court with all these guys by name. Yeah. What do you think is going to yeah. happen to our team? Yeah. Um, I all right. I was like, whoa. Um, so, but, you know, I think with Brooklyn, like, I, do, I don't see any other way it ends with uh, than, than Kevin getting traded at some point. But he has so many years left on his deal. And I don't think you trade him lightly. And I don't think you trade him unless you really feel like you're. it's a deal you can live with. All right, so here, a couple, here are a couple sweet spot Warriors names. 
that fit money-wise, that probably fit talent-wise, that Wiseman fits on the other end. Jakob Pertl is a name I would keep my eye on for the Warriors and pretty much any other team. $9 million expiring contract. Boom, done. He helps us. He's an A defender at center. Can he shoot? No. Can he shoot free throws? No. But he's a good passer, good shot blocker. Can do what Looney does for us, um, more or less. If I'm them and I and I call Charlotte, I might try to see if I can get P.J. Washington for Wiseman. Because Charlotte's been hunting for a center every which way, a lob-catching center. P.J. Washington's about to enter free agency, so you got to pay him. But he's good. I know he can shoot. That's just a name. I'm not sure I would do that trade because it's so it's so early. But these are like these are the kind of names. Like even Miles Turner. Miles Turner's an eighteen million dollar player. It's hard for the Warriors to just cobble all that salary to get Miles Turner. But I look, I think they're gonna write the ship still. They're probably now having said that, they're probably gonna lose by forty tonight at Phoenix and we'll all look like idiots. But I think they're gonna write the ship to some degree, but they are not I bet they don't sit on their hands. If it's a month from now and they're still mucking around 500, that's my guess. Especially if Steph is, can, can continue to play at least close to the level that he started the season at, because you can capitalize off of off of what Steph's doing right now. I think Kendrick. my I think my last thought, Zach, on whether they do or don't trade um, anybody or make a move here is having been around this team for the better part of a decade. Right, this this run that they've been on is basically been almost a decade now um the the thing that i would there's a lot of things that they've done very well and have contributed to them being a dynastic team and one of the more underrated things is the way they're able to compartmentalize drama like this and tension like this um for as much as everybody up there seems happy and easygoing and they're in a good place and they go for they go out on the boat and spear fishing and whatever like there's been a lot of drama there really has over the years and they sort uh, of y- moved yes. through it past yeah, the, it. A, a central protagonist in much of that drama has been Draymond yeah. Green. But yeah. he's been worth it. He's been worth it. Look. Yeah, he's been worth it. Look, Kevin Durant a burner account on the eve of media day one year. That was a thing. Why do you <laughs> think why do you think Draymond is still on the team? Because they all know he's worth it. That's why. Worth it. Good character on Right? Andrew Andrews, your work is incredible for us. You got a story coming out on Friday, right? Yes, all about diving into their defensive woes and stuff like that. And the James Wiseman's defense, the young guy's defense, Draymond Green's, even his, like when he's in the lineup, defensive numbers are slipping and stuff. So no slippage. Said, it's Ramona, all down to their defense. Ramona Shelburne, your piece on Clay was fantastic. We had a televised component that was great. Thank you. Um, and the piece itself is great. It's on ESPN.com, and you can see it because you'll immediately notice the picture of Clay Thompson in sailing wear with a captain's hat on lounging. Yes. You seem like you've got some Sperry's. You got some Sperry's, Zach? Look you, good. You, you, I don't even know. You said that, and I only knew they were shoes because of the context of the sentence. So, no, I do not. Um, I got you some. And I will not ever, ever be a boat person. But boats are cool. It's fine. I'll be on a boat. He really does drive it himself. I mean, my favorite line from the whole story is, you you know, you could hire a deck crew. Right. Clay, and he's like, what's the point of that? It's like being in the Boy Scouts, you know? <laughs> I just I just want Clay to respect nature. If it's a yeah. storm. I, you know, if- Zach, he tracks this weather. I cannot tell you how many times I'll be having conversations with him and he's looking at his phone and I'm like, what are you looking at? And he's like, sorry, I'm tracking. I'm tracking the weather. I'm tracking the tide. He is. I guarantee you, anytime he's you, got a sea yeah. log in his in the main in the galley. Like, I'm like, is that your diary? He's like, no, it's the sea. It's my sea log. <laughs> Honestly, 
What a what a national treasure Clay Thompson is. <laughs> okay, guys, thank you very much. Be well. Thanks, Thanks for all the great work. <laughs> for the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. I'm very excited for my next guest. Many, many year NBA veteran. Unflinchable when faced with inbounds passes in his face. NBA champion co-host of the wildly popular podcast slash television video experience, All the Smoke with Steven Jackson. Matt Barnes, how are you, sir? I'm good, Zach. Thanks for having me. We are going to talk about the Sacramento Kings. You are contributing to their broadcast this year, adding a lot to it. Kings broadcast is getting is getting really good. There's a lot of good voices on that broadcast. But I just did a whole thing on the Warriors. They got shellacked again last night in Phoenix, even though Steph had 50. Before we get to the Kings, what is the Matt Barnes worry level um, the Golden State. Well, Matt Barnes is a champion Golden State Warrior. A we believe Golden State Warrior. What is your worry level on the Warriors? Not too high from a standpoint that we're still in November. Um, I feel like obviously, you know, this team's success over the last eight years, four championships. We know the window is closing, but we also know that the season gets boring. And I say that with all due respect, and I hope fans don't take that the wrong way. But when you've been kind of through the process and to the top of the mountain several times, the season gets to become a drag at some point. Um, I got a chance to talk to Steph um, before the Kings Warriors game last week. I was in uh, up north, and you know, obviously, congratulated him on a, an amazing year he's having. And I just, you know, kind of asked what's up with the team, and he's just like, you know, we're we're, we're going to get it. You know, we're we're still trying to figure it out. And and from the outside looking in, that's what I thought. I think Steve Kerr realizes that his core group. Uh, he can't ride them like they've been ridden in the past. You know, this is a team that's obviously getting older. Uh, Clay's still trying to find his rhythm coming back off, you know, nearly two and a half years being gone. Um, you can't tell anything's wrong with Steph, but still he's got miles. So I just think that they're trying to figure out what this young core can give them. You know, obviously Wiseman's inconsistency and he's down in the G League right now. Kaminga's, you know, promotion back into the rotation. Moody's kind of on that edge. Jordan Poole's play has been up and down um since getting that big contract so i just think they're trying to figure out what they have but i like guys like divincenzo and jamichael green who are vets who have you know been through the war so my worry level isn't too high i feel like this team once they start getting it will be fine i don't see them zach trying to compete for a top two or even three seed in the west i think that you know they could be anywhere between three to five Obviously, they probably want home court advantage. But again, once you get to the to the playoffs, that's where their experience level will kick in and that's where their expertise will kick in. So I think to answer your question, my level is not too high. 
um, on uh, on my worries with them. Obviously, there's things during the season you're going to want to continue to address, and it is alarming that they started 0-8 on the road. But again, any, if any team can turn it around um, out of all the teams, we kind of thought that would be a little bit higher than they are now. I definitely have confidence in the Warriors to be able to do that. Let's transition right now to a place where there's no worry right now. It is all good vibes. Happy go lucky. Except I, even just saying this, I remember two seasons ago, De'Aaron Fox was player of the month or player of the week. And I had him on my podcast and like everything went south immediately because <laughs> it's the Kings. So I'm worried. The Sacramento Kings, seven and six, could be nine and four with a little help or at least not harm from the right. Zebras. The number two offense in the NBA behind only the Boston Celtics, the number two half-court offense in the NBA, so it's not just they're racing up and down, piling up points in transition. 26th on defense, but as we're going to talk about, I think that number, I think they're better than that, and I think they will come start climbing up the rankings toward average a little bit. And just a freaking ball to watch. They are playing with such great energy such great burst, um, the, the just passing the fourth and assist rate. They're helping each other out. I was high on the Kings before the season. Their over-under was 33 and a half, and I kept telling people, if you are the type, that's a lock. Hit the over hard. This team's going to be in the play-in race at worst. They look even better than I thought. You're on the broadcast. By the way, a little trivia about Matt Barnes that I forgot about. You were on the Kings when they traded Chris Webber in 2005, and when they traded DeMarcus Cousins in 2017. And I think you were waived because yeah. of the DeMarcus Cousins trade because they got so many players back. So you have seen, like, the end of two yeah. Kings mini eras, and now we're here. What is, what's what's gotten you fired up about these guys? Um, Top 10 in every offensive, important offensive statistical category, and I think what you hit on, too, is number two in half-court offense, which is important. This team hasn't necessarily – been successful obviously with De'Aaron Fox at the helm he's one of the fastest guys end to end so you expect them to be doing well in transition um but I just love what they've built obviously I want to salute uh Monty McNair because he made a very at the time unpopular trade trading you know Tyrese Halliburton for uh Demontis Sabonis and it had a lot of very mixed reviews but I felt that if he was bold enough to trade Arguably the team, the, the, the town, the team, everyone loved uh, 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 Halliburton. If he's bold enough to make that trade, I figured that would bode well in the offseason because he wouldn't be afraid to take a few risks here and there. And I think what they really were able to do this offseason was get shooting. Uh, Kevin Herter, when I saw that they got Kevin Herter, I was like, he's perfect for this Mike Brown slash Golden State type offense with a lot of movement and someone that can catch and shoot, uh, spot up shoot, and even surprising me being able to come off the dribble and shoot and also an underrated playmaker um uh Malik Monk has finally found his rhythm well, I was really surprised that the Lakers didn't resign this guy because obviously he was the one guy that shot 40% from the three point line last year and that's something the Lakers lack but he's starting to find his rhythm I think it he's continued to lock in I've been able to talk to him I think he can be in the sixth man of the year um race obviously Sabonis's versatility um someone who is uh 20 11 and six assists uh, a night guy can always help. And I think his high basketball IQ really helps this offense move similar to the way, and I'm not comparing the two, but similar to the way that Draymond can make the Golden State offense move, a big man that can move the ball, that has some versatility. Um, and then I think really, to be honest, the biggest leap was for De'Aaron Fox, and it's not necessarily on the scoring end because this guy has been a plus 20 score outside of his first year or two. 
uh, since he's been in the league. But I think the step has been in the leadership role where he's actually getting more vocal when this team goes two or three empty possessions at a time. He'll finally slow them down, direct guys and really be the quarterback on the offensive end. His ability to make the team, his, his teammates better, understanding that he has so much shooting around him now that if he gets his shooters going, that's only going to open up the floor for him. Uh, he's shooting a higher percentage. I think he's at about nearly 38% or 37.5% from the three-point line, which is, if I'm not mistaken, a career high for him. And teams are already not going under on him anymore, which yeah. opens up the entire floor for downhill, them. Downhill, downhill. And then to me, the, the, the place where I think he made the biggest jump and I challenged him was I feel like he can be an all-league defender. Um, his instincts, his his speed, his lateral movement, his hand activity. If you're the fastest guy on offense, there's no reason why you can't be a demon on defense. And I think, just think that's the want to do it. Um, so I feel like, you know, De'Aaron could be a possibly first-time all-star, which he deserves. But the only thing that could possibly, I say, keep him back from that is the Kings record. But the way they're playing, I, you know, obviously that's trending in the right direction. And then I think I, I challenge him to be an, an all-NBA defender. Um, you know, along with Davion Mitchell, when once he, when Davion has his rhythm, to me, that could be arguably the best defensive backcourt in the game. So huge shout out to the guys, but in particularly Mike Brown, you know, Mike Brown to be able to, you know, land in this situation. I had Mike Brown twice with the Lakers. One time it was very ugly. Uh, and then I had him again when, uh, you know, Steve Kerr was dealing with his issues with Golden State, really a player's kind of coach. But my fear that coming into this season was Mike is such a player's guy and so nice that he wouldn't necessarily have that demand of buying into this new system. We need to create an identity, but I've been completely wrong with that. Happily completely wrong with that. And every time I talk to the players, Zach, the one thing they say is Mike, this Mike, that Mike, this, which means I know these guys are buying in. So that was a lot, but uh, happy for the team and definitely heading in the right direction. It was long overdue for Mike Brown to get another chance at head coach. And what's really interesting is the rep on him was good defensive coach. He'll grind it. You know, he wants to grind the game down. He'll install a system. He'll get everyone to, to run that system. Very basic. And I was like, that's exactly what the Kings need. Just like, here are the rules. Follow the rules. And like you said with Fox, man, we've been waiting on this from Fox yep. for three years. I, at the end of the 18-19 season, when the Kings seemed to have something going, Dave Yeager was the coach. They started playing well. Like, Bagley and Giles are playing well. Heald, Bogdanovich. I, I just, like, I loved Fox. I loved his spirit. He seemed to be ready for a leadership role, and then it just didn't happen. His defense didn't come. And now it's here. But the rap on Mike Brown was uncreative offensive coach. Boring, sludgy, ISO, whatever offense. Just uncreative. And I wonder if all that time with the Warriors has sort of shaped him into the head coach he's sort of destined to be at the peak of his game. Because the half-court offense... It's a, it's, it's, it, I don't know if I would describe it as intricate, but there's a lot going on. There's like two guys curling off screens at the same time on opposite sides of the floor. There's flare screens. And to me, Matt, the thing that stands out, and you can talk more about why this matters, they run everything full speed. Like the cuts, the, the initial catch and go drives, the screens, the, the burst and the energy and like the ferocity with which they do that stuff. It jumps out of the screen. They are playing half-court offense fast. And we don't often talk about the pace of half-court offense, but right. they are just they are just hitting people hard. Have you noticed that too? Like, and why does that matter? 
I mean, I think it's important. And obviously, and, and Zach, I think you hit it on the head, uh, his time in Golden State and and seeing the way that that offense, you got to think, you know, I'm going to Golden State when I was with the Clippers and we were able to kind of beat Golden State right before they made their run. When Steve Kerr came in and implemented this offense, it completely freed that team up. It freed Steph up. It freed Clay up. It freed Draymond's playmaking ability up. And really, that's what I see on, on this team. Again, I spoke to DeMontis' playmaking ability uh, when we first started, and I think he's a key because De'Aaron Fox traditionally doesn't necessarily hasn't been an assist type, get your guy going. He'll get his five or six assists because he has the ball in his hands, but now that he's looking for guys as well, DeMontis' offensive uh, versatility is very beneficial. And then just the spacing they're able to play with because they have so many shooters. This is a league of defense and shooting. You know what I mean? And if you can do those two things, you're going to have a chance. So obviously, you know, we'll get to the defense where they can uh, improve, but I think they are better than their numbers. Like you mentioned, this offense is fun to watch. And, and I think it's a, it's a blast to watch. It's a blast. I mean, you guys, and, and this team is deep. You know, Terrence Davis had a, a 30 plus game the other night against Brooklyn, and he's someone that's kind of in and out of the rotation. Malik Monk can slap you for 20 points. Kevin Herter's averaging nearly 17 points a game and shooting 50% from the three point line. We know what De'Aaron's giving you. You know, Demonis is a 20, 10, and six guy. So there's so many. And then I'm not, I haven't even spoken to Keegan Murray, who, you know, obviously had it, it came to note that. You know, his grandmother had a stroke and he struggled for a few games, but he seems to have found his footing. And I like his big, long six, eight ability to shoot soft touch around the rim. Uh, Trey Lyles is someone who goes unsung and he's kind of a Swiss army knife where Mike can put him on the, you know, put him in for defense, put him in for offense. Good things always happen. So I love the depth. But again, I think you made a great point as well. The speed which it with which they play in the half court set is so important because, you know, the one thing I remember when I had my brief stand with Golden State the last time was, you know, when you run hard, you're going to get open, but also when you set these screens, because now you have such dynamic shooters coming off and Herder and these other guys that the slip pass, you know, Chemezi Mentu is, is starting to make a living on slipping and going to the rim and doing some things like that. So again, this is a, a fun team to watch. And I'm just happy from a standpoint of, you know, this is my hometown team. This team hasn't been good since the Weber era. And, you know, at, at that point, we felt like we we're on top of the world. Sacramento's economy and, and 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 growth was the biggest it's ever been because the Kings were good. So it's just good to see, you know, them bringing some life back up into the city, although it's only early and we're one game above 500. Again, I just think they're starting to believe in Mike Brown, which is important. And I think his time in Golden State honed him because he was always a very solid creative defensive coach but I think his time around those players in Golden State and that coaching staff really gave him gave him the kind of the vision to implement the offensive system with this team and there's there's nothing in the numbers anywhere offensively that suggests this is a fluke and no. before the season I thought they should be a top 10 offense I said they should be a top 10 top 8 offense maybe there's nothing in the numbers. You can't find it anywhere. They're not shooting outrageously well from anywhere except at the rim. And, like, everybody shoots pretty well at the rim. They're first in shooting percentage at the rim. So maybe they fall to sixth. It's still going to be a really good shooting percentage. And here, so here's a stat that I found about that sort of indicates how their half-court offense is just this whirring machine of good stuff. In Atlanta, Kevin Herter, we think of Kevin Herter as a guy who will come off screens, right? He's a shooter. He's going to come off screens. I've noticed in a lot of these Kings games, he's setting – screens That's so Clay. He's, he's he's setting now according to the tracking data 10 off ball screens he's setting per 100 possessions in yeah. atlanta that was like two or three yeah. per 100 possessions and the more to your point about sabonis the more you just start running around and having him screen screening for him the more likely especially if you do it fast 
you're going to force the other team to switch. And once you switch a small guy onto Sabonis, he is such a brute in the post that sometimes he doesn't even have to touch the ball. Once the switch happens, they start loading onto him. He doesn't have to touch the ball. He's already drawn the attention. The ball starts moving around. Boom, someone gets an open three. And when he does have the ball, he is just beasting in the post. They're scoring like, I'm looking it up now, 1.2 points per possession on every Sabonis post-up. That's like a That would like lead the league over a full season. And and as you mentioned, he and Fox are tied for most assists on the team. It, it The offense is real. This is not going away. And I heard, and I forgot what the number was, and I didn't even know it was a stat, which is crazy, but his dribble handoffs, like he's a top two or three guy creating offense for the guy he's dribble handoff. And I'm probably saying it wrong, but someone threw it out the other day during the broadcast. Like, damn, I didn't even know that was a stat, but that's a great stat because Dude, again, they, they keep, not only do they keep that stat, Matt, they keep the fake handoffs. When you, when you fake it and keep it, that's a stat now too. Right. No, but uh, to, to touch your herder point, and I hate kind of referencing back to the Warriors, but at the same time, I don't mind because you're, you know, you're, you're copying greatness. You know, the thing that you, you know, still makes them tough, but Steph and Clay setting screens, you really don't know how to play that because obviously you're taught to open up when someone's setting the screen and make sure your guy gets through. But when you're, you're guarding such a great shooter, you can't. So if Kevin Hurd is setting these up screens, these rip screen, these side screens, they know offensive or defensively that those guys are going to stick to Herder. And again, that's when guys are flying off to the rim and getting back cuts and back doors because you're so afraid to leave Kevin Herder's body. So again, I just think this offense is, is poetry in motion. I love it. Um, and really the assist, the assist to made basket ratio is something I always talk about at halftime, every single game. And we're somewhere near like the 16 to 19 assists per 23 24 25 baskets and that's when you know that the ball is really flying around because this has always been kind of a spread out and let De'Aaron get downhill but they would always shrink because they hadn't had any shooting so now that the court is wide open he's finding people Sabonis is finding people it even makes the court more wide for De'Aaron to get downhill and another thing that I think I mentioned on ESPN we were on together day that you know De'Aaron Fox is number one in the league in clutch points I'm looking at it now number one last five minutes of close games 42 points on 18 of 28 shooting. He's stepping up, and they're not easy shots. He's making these, like, step-back twos, but he's making them. Yeah, above 50% from the three-point line. And another area he's increased or uh, uh, got better in, we haven't really talked about his free throw percentage. You know, his ability to knock down big free throws and clutch free throws when it matters, that was an issue last year. Another thing that I saw coming into the season that the team was just their starts. Their starts in the first and third quarter were terrible, and I felt like they lost a handful of games because of those starts. And one thing I can definitely say is, their third quarter numbers, and I don't know what they particularly are, but their third quarter starts have been great. The like since they've been, you know, I think they're seven and three in their last 10 games, but their third quarter starts coming out of that third quarter, not just this team, but so many teams lose the lose the game, the momentum in those first five minutes at a halftime. So that was something that before the first game, I was just like, you know, this is something that a glaring weakness I saw last year. So again, I don't know their numbers this year, but I know they're a lot better than they were last year, starting the third quarter, that first five minutes. Well, their starting lineup, you know, Fox, Herder, Barnes, Murray, Sabonis is plus 16 per 100 possessions. So that helps. If your starting lineup's awesome, you're going to win the third quarter a lot. They're plus eight per 100 possessions with Fox and Sabonis on the floor. They're winning. They're staggering those two guys, which is smart. They're winning the Sabonis minutes and losing the Fox minutes, but it's early. I wouldn't read too much into any of that. And, again, there's nothing that suggests this is a fluke. Um, defensively, 26th, and you want to say, oh, same old Kangs. But here's here's why I say reason for hope. You look at the numbers. Average in allowing free throws. Average is fine. 
Average in forcing turnovers. Average is fine. Second in defensive rebounding. That's awesome. If you want to be, if you want to be a competent defense, just get, just don't give them second chances. That's an awesome, awesome sign. And then you look at the shots they allow. The third fewest threes, and the sixth most mid-range jumpers, and average at the rim. So you break it down. Essentially, why they're twenty-six in defense is teams are just shooting the lights out from mm-hmm. everywhere, including threes and mid-range. Now the rim, they allowed a really bad field goal percentage at the rim last season after they got Sabonis. It's happening again this year. That just might be baked in to their That's team. The team. Yeah. But if the threes, if the opponent threes regress to normal. I don't see any reason why this team can't be 17th, 18th, yeah. 19th in defense. And you you keep a top three offense, that's a good team. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, and Zach, you know, especially with this younger generation, defense is what's going to come around a little slower than the offensive end because everyone wants to get to that offensive end, and, and, and that's where the highlights are, and that's where you're getting your money at. But I think, obviously, Mike's defensive principles are going to take a little bit of time to kick in. But I have seen, again – the communication being better, switching with the purpose, uh, being on the split line, guys taking charges, guys making those second and third efforts. And then most importantly, like you said, limiting the second shots. Again, this is not a very big team. You know what I mean? And Sabonis is definitely not a rim protector, but he is their center. So, you know, this is all going to be scrambling, hard work and hustle. And and, and the the one thing I like too is guards are coming back in and getting rebounds. Uh, uh, That's a great point. Uh, Murray is a, is a good rebounder for being a young guy. Uh, like the way he rebounds. Harrison Barnes is someone who rebounds for them. So again, it's it's definitely rebounding by committee. Um, but I, I I'm with you. I think that you know the the more because I know Mike is drilling that every single day. So as time goes on, I know that defense will improve. And again, it's just understanding because this is you know still a fairly young team. And I think what guards struggle with the most is movement and then being able to how, to, how how do you navigate screens a lot of guys, uh, young guys die on screens you know what i mean so just being able to understand how to navigate that get through screens switching with the purpose uh being able to if you are switching on being able to control those first two dribbles um it's all positive things obviously sometimes the numbers can be deceiving but at the same time they are where they are for a reason but it's to me it's still early and i think you know come mid-january similar to where you know, Ime Udoka had the Celtics, and I'm not saying this is a similar team, but his philosophies and principles all of a sudden kicked in in January for this team. So, you know, again, I think they're heading in the right direction in both categories, and I'm hoping with just some more time, uh, the defense will start holding up the, their end of the bargain as well. So I went through the whole statistical case for why they're probably better than the 26 defense, and you made the more important case, which is to me, I watched them play. They're playing hard. They're rotating on the flight of the ball. They're not messing up rotations. Like when they X out, one guy will go to the corner, one guy will go up to the wing. Like they're actually executing, I think, okay for the most part. And mm-hmm. if they continue to do that, the numbers will reflect that they're yeah. they're playing hard and they're executing. Harrison Barnes is in the perfect role for him. He's the fifth option in the starting five. I like Murray. Murray's just a basketball player, man. He's good. This is fun. They're yeah. really fun to watch. I don't know. East Coast, it's late. Yeah. Maybe t- maybe watch a Kings game the next morning, but they're they're fun, and I haven't been in that arena yet this year. On TV, it sounds loud. Is yeah. it that loud? They got great fans. Um, and and to speak to you know, I was supposed to work the Nets game the other night, and it got bumped to TNT, and I'm just like, damn, I wanted to work the game, but when was the last time the Kings have been on TNT? You know what I mean? So for them. I love that opportunity uh, to touch back on the defensive point real quick too. And one thing that I obviously as a veteran player wouldn't like and, and and didn't like, but which I love now for this young team who's trying to build an identity, 
Mike Brown will call a defensive timeout within 30 seconds. It's like, amazing. You mess up, the game can just tip, and I'd be like, Mike, what the f-? I would think like that because I'm a vet. And eh. But I love it with this young team because he's teaching on the fly. It can be the first two minutes of the game, the first, the start of the third, the start one of the possession. He'll do it one possession. Yeah. Michael sees something that he feels is important, which it is because they're trying to build this defensive foundation. And Mike does not hesitate to call a timeout. And obviously, I think with this team, it's a beautiful thing. Matt Barnes, uh, your work is tremendous. It's it's really fun working with you, and we get the chance to do it together. Everybody knows where to find all the smoke. It's everywhere. You and Stack have built an empire. Uh, thank you for lending the low post a little bit of your time, and I will see you soon. Zach, thanks for having me, buddy. I'll see you soon. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.